Hello, everybody. Michael Lombardo here. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. It is always a blessing to be with you. Uh, I am excited to have my guest on the show with you here today. And uh, before we get into the subject matter, um, you know, because of COVID-19, the pandemic that's taking place, just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. You know, we've had to work through this. Usually you have a studio space. Audio quality is usually immaculate. And um, kind of we've been we've been working it out here where we've come up with a little bit better of a system. So it should sound a lot clearer. But I just wanted to say that hopefully here by the end of April, we should have everything up and running perfectly again. But in the meantime, I want to keep releasing these podcasts to be a blessing to you guys. I really felt in my heart to do that. And honestly, I have um, someone on the show today that has impacted my life in huge ways. Um, with when I first uh, encountered the Lord, um, I read his book, The Shack, and I know it's uh, impacted so many lives around the world. Um, I know it's also been a point of uh, you know people <laughs> of contention for some people as well, but it's so pure. I've received so much from it. And so my guest on the show, his name is William Paul Young. He's the author of The Shack as well as Crossroads, um, the book Eve, as well as Lies We Believe About God. And he actually told me before the show that he's working on some more material, which I'm excited about. But he travels around the world sharing his story of transformation and healing. And um, I had him on my podcast maybe almost two years ago now. And we um, specifically uh, broke down the shack and his story and kind of how the shack um, came about in his life and some really beautiful sections of the book that that really ministered to me and we kind of got into that, but no further ado, I know that we got a lot to discuss here today. And so I want to have my guest on the show, Paul, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Michael, great to be with you. Honored to be with you. Hi everyone. Uh, and yes, strange days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always a blessing talking to you, man. You just ooze Jesus and you're full of grace. And I know you wouldn't say this stuff about yourself, but every time I'm around you, I feel like I'm around Jesus. So um, it's always an honor talking to you, man. Well, thank you. Um, right back at you. So let's, let's get in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, for those who aren't familiar with your story, I know it's a long story. We could talk about it for a while. We did on our last podcast, but I'd love for you to condense it a little bit just so people have a background of who you are. I know a lot of people have heard of The Shack. People who are believers and unbelievers have heard of The Shack. But, um, you know, tell us a little bit about how you grew up and how the Lord really captured you um, in your heart, you know, your marriage and kind of where the shack came from. Yeah. So the, the bird's eye view, the quick flyover is um, I'm a Canadian born uh, in northern Alberta and uh, less than a year old. My, I was the firstborn. My parents and I packed up and moved to the highlands of New Guinea. So I'm a missionary kid. I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, when we came back to Canada, my dad was an itinerant pastor, and we moved around a lot. Um, uh, wonderful experiences as a missionary kid, horrible experiences as a missionary kid, um, <laughs> combinations. You know, it's just one of those things. Grew up in, in a very uh, modern evangelical fundamentalist uh, frame of reference theologically, so um, uh, very conservative in, in many respects. and. And uh, ended up coming, when we came back to Canada, I went to 13 schools before I graduated high school. So we moved a lot. Um, growing up in a, in a tribal culture, uh, there were some great sadnesses. My dad was a very angry disciplinarian. Um, he is, uh, his addiction wasn't alcohol like uh, Mackenzie's in the shack. Uh, my dad was addicted to um, the ministry. And um, yeah. 
And but he he had, he, had, he you know he's from a generation that didn't know they had damage and didn't know they had baggage and wouldn't have known what to do with it. So there was not a lot of help back in those days, and and you weren't allowed to to look for it. And so he just buried everything inside and took it out on his boys. And uh, yeah. um, sexual sexual abuse is part of my childhood uh, boarding school. Sexual abuse there inside of missionary boarding school. And um, and then coming back to an entirely unfamiliar culture that I'm supposed to fit into because it was a, basically a white culture and I'm a white person, which which wasn't an easy transition for me. So um, ended up going to Bible school and um, working uh, for a couple of years for a church in Oregon uh, where I'd been at a crossroads in my life and met Kim. Um, and we got married and. I hadn't dealt with any of my stuff and hid it from her. And, you know, the shack becomes the symbol for the broken heart, you know, the place on the inside where you're stuck. It's your own soul. And um, a lot of us, you know, that's where we hide all of our shame and lies and everything else. So I never, I never wanted anybody to find out about that place. So I created a facade hoping that if I could perform perfectly enough that one day I would be acceptable not only to God but to other people. So um, I, yeah. I, I hid everything and uh, we are as sick as the secrets we keep. And, you know, uh, God won't heal us apart from our participation and we need community uh, and all of those things. I didn't want to take the risk. I had all my survival skills and I kept them intact and I performed quite well. And uh, finally, uh, well into our marriage after our sixth child was born, Matthew. Um, we have six children and, and, uh, Kim caught me in a three month affair with one of her best friends and it blew up. I blew up the whole world for us. And, uh, and really the facade came crashing down, had to make a decision whether to see if there was a way to change or kill myself. Those were my only two options left. And, um, that started an 11 year deconstruction process, um, rebuilding process. Some of us, we need the gentleness of a, of an, you know, an art curator who carefully removes all the, the paint overs off the masterpiece. But some of us need a bulldozer, and mine was more of a bulldozer experience. Eleven years um, before Kim and I were fully reconciled, eleven years that reconstructed my theology, and. Uh, and involved therapy and involved all kinds of stuff and community. And at the end of that, I, I emerged out of those 11 years, turned 50. And the year I turned 50 felt finally healthy enough to write something that Kim had been asking me to write as a gift for our children. And I did it on the train to one of my three jobs, mostly on the train and made uh, 15 copies at office depot in Gresham, Oregon. And, Gave them to my family and my friends at Christmas and went back to work and my friends started giving it away and it became this phenomenon called the shack and nobody saw it coming. I certainly didn't and neither did the 26 publishers who decided they didn't want to publish it for various reasons and, and which didn't bother me because I had no expectations to begin with. It did everything I wanted it to do with 15 copies. So that's what started you know, suddenly having a, a place to speak from and people interested and the book just went nuts um, in a very unique way. 
um, probably has never happened before or since. Um, the kind of thing that happened with the shack, you know, to be um, done out of a garage in California, basically. So, um, yeah, and all these years later now, it's been as surreal today as it's ever been. Um, and I'm sitting talking to you. Look at how how cool is that? So, <laughs> lots of yeah. change, lots of transformation, lots of hard work. You know, the, the work of, of processing our damages is, you know, not easy. And, and, and I'd never want to go through those 11 years again. Um, but I'm grateful every day for them. And I'm grateful for Kim. She and I are the best we've ever been and better than we could have been. Um, if I hadn't dealt with my stuff, but, um, yeah, lots of losses in, in the process. Lots of things mm -hmm. to grieve. Yeah. I love your honesty. You know, so many people need to hear these things because so many people have their own shack that they're trapped in and they're hiding because they're afraid. And so I think this is the Lord breathed on it and he used it in, um, supernatural ways really to get it all over the world into the hands of people who needed it. And I love the fact that you're very honest about how long that healing process was 11 years. You know, we all love the stories of, um, instant breakthroughs where you're addicted and the next day you're not because the Lord touches you. And, uh, we all love the stories of, Oh yeah, just one day it was like this. And the next day, you know, because of this encounter, this happened or God spoke to me and, yeah, but uh, God isn't always, you know, he loves the instantaneous and he operates in the instantaneous uh, breakthroughs, but also, you know, he loves process and he loves walking us through our, our messes and he loves revealing, you know, what's in our heart and, and through, through relationship and through, you know, humility and walking with the Lord. You know, there's a lot of things that have deep roots that, um, that are just, um, a lot longer to pull out, you know, and, and it's hard. It's extremely hard to, uh, confront, things in your life that are, that are damaging, that you're scared of, that you're fearful of. You never know how someone's going to react or what's going to happen. And, um, but it's a beautiful thing because the healing process, you know, it says in the scriptures and I don't have the exact reference in my mind, but it talks about how when we take what's in the darkness and we bring it to the light, that it becomes light. And, um, I absolutely love that because those things that are hidden in the darkness, when we bring it out to the light and we're transparent with the Lord or with those that we love, it, uh, it gives the opportunity for the Lord to really work. And for that thing that was shrouded in darkness to be wrapped in light and for truth and, and beauty to come out of it. Yeah. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to expose. And that sounds mean and cruel because a lot of us have a, a view of God that's mean and cruel. And, um, and this is exposure is not. It's not to humiliate. It's just that the unexposed is the unhealed. And without exposure, it, it cannot be exposed to the light. And so yeah. it, that's tough for us, especially when darkness and hiddenness and aloneness have become our survival skills. That's become the prison we call home. And, um, and it's not like, you know, I'm this two things. One is, you know, the shack's not a reward for a life well lived. And, uh, it's, it's, it is evidence. One of, one of the things I like to say is that it's proof that God can still speak through Balaam's ass, you know, and, yeah. uh, that's an old Testament reference for anybody who cares. And, um, uh, and, and the other thing is, is that it is process and, and we want instant fix. Um, we don't want the arduous work, but we're so incredibly crafted as human beings. The instantaneous stuff is usually very surface stuff. It's usually just an introduction. 
um, to a much deeper road and a much deeper process. And so I, I still get triggered. I got a lot of finish work to do in my life, but those 11 years really did major reconstruction. You know, it's like the bulldozer that comes in and, 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 and works the, the inner house down to the studs and to the foundation so that the cracks in the foundation can be repaired and restored. But, um, there's always finished work. And, um, and so that's mm-hmm. still true in my life as well. Yeah, even with you growing up and, you know, being being a missionary kid and growing up in church and having a form of, you know, religion, you know, one thing I one thing I love about you is also that you don't have a religious bone in your body, you know. Um what I'd like to even just dive into today, I know that as you were going through that process, I'm sure a lot of that uh, mentalities about God that weren't accurate were dismantled and that and that's what brought a lot of healing in your life. You know, it's truth, knowing the truth that sets us free. And so I know a lot of that process had to do with dismantling religious mindsets that probably kept you in, in bondage. And I'd love to even dive in today a little bit of that um, lie of separation, you know, separation between the sacred and the secular, that the Lord is only involved in certain areas of our lives, maybe that seems spiritual. You know, a lot of people feel like God is involved in the churchy stuff or the stuff that, you know, obviously has, you know, religious connotation to it. But, you know, but God wants to be involved in every single area of our lives. And for me as a new believer, you know, I was 19 years old, I'm 32 now. But at 19 years old, I encountered the Lord and growing up in church, you know, you develop mentalities and ideas about the Lord that are accurate, but also many that are false, you know? And when I read the shack and especially this one little part that I'm thinking of is when Papa was listening to music on her headphones and uh, it wasn't Christian music, but it was a rebellious teenagers, broken kids, but she wasn't listening to the words as much as the hearts of those who were singing. And that, that blew me away. I knew that's something that probably offended people as well when they were reading the shack and you know, what are your, what are your thoughts about just, I kind of, I want to, I want to break that up here in this show and, and let people know that he's way bigger, you know, and he's not in a box. Yeah. So <clears throat> let's begin with something very simple. And although it's profound and that is that God is not religious. God has never been religious. Um, religion and relationship are almost antithetical and, um, and religion requires three things. To have a religion, you need three things. You need, you need separation. You need a problem, like you're separated from God. And even Christianity is religious. A lot of Christianity is religious. And uh, it has become a religion. Um, yeah. And it's defined as a religion. So, uh, you know, I, I constantly talk to my people. You know, my, my people are modern evangelical fundamentalists. Most of the people who are mad at me are my own people. And, um, and that's under, that's understandable. <clears throat> and, um, and I get it. Uh, but, but I say, look, you know, be a Christian when it's helpful, but only when it's helpful. You know, we, we are followers and lovers and abiders in Jesus. And, and, and a lot of times being a Christian is simply, um, stepping into a place of religion. And now you're in a war with other religions. Now, religion needs, Separation, that is, I'm separated from God. There's a gulf between me and God. You know, and you've heard all that language. I have. I grew up with it. And the second thing you need is a sacrifice. Yeah. And the third third thing you need is magic. And and all religions have those three elements. And so you've got, uh, in, in the religion I grew up in, my modern evangelical Western fundamentalism, 
Um, we even had, you know, a little track that had four spiritual law- laws. And number two was you've sinned and you're separated from God. And, mm-hmm. and it was, it was more than just like, I'm across the chasm from God. It is like, you know, you are evil. I mean, you have a sin nature and you're separated from God. And so, and so uh, that they, as soon as somebody pauses separation like that, then you've got a big problem. It's, and you've got a solution, a religious one. You just uh, listen to me and I'll tell you uh, how to get across the separation because religion always is offering a solution for separation. And the way you do it is that there has to be a sacrifice of some sort or another. And every religion has got sacrifice of some sort or another and magic. And, you know, even our sinner's prayer is a form of magic. It's a way to get across the chasm. And, um, and, and magic is about power. It's not about relationship. That's, that's why God is opposed to magic. Um, and God is not religious, but, but here's a very significant and profound, simple thing as well. On the one hand, God is not religious. On the other hand, God submits by nature. This is part of the beauty of the Trinity, that there's always been this circle, this great dance of relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where there, where submission is mutual and it's interplaying and you don't lose personhood in that. The Son never becomes the Spirit and the Spirit never becomes the Father and etc. And so mm-hmm. here you've got a God who is love, not just does loving things. God mm-hmm. never does anything that is not love because love is the nature of God. Other-centered, self-giving love. So this God who is love come, comes into our reality, which is religious, and submits to it. And we know, for example, we know that the prophets on behalf of God say, I hate the stench of your sacrifices, the, the, your offering. I hate the sacrificial system. God never needed a sacrifice. Yeah. It's we in our religious delusion that needed a sacrifice. And and so God is going to come into our world, submit to it, the cross being the end, finally, of sacrifice by God giving himself to it, to our religious demand for um, a, a sacrifice or a scapegoat. And, um, and, and again, it's just like God submitting in order to destroy our religious ideology. So, so here's the thing. A lot of a lot of my people will say, well, you can't say that, you know, that God is in all these other religions. Well, that would be like saying, well, you can't say God is in the Christian religion. Well, why is God in the Christian religion? Because God submits to us and we brought religion to the table. So this is a God who will climb into anybody's religion in order to destroy everything that is not of love's kind from inside of it through submission through love, through confrontation, through whatever. So the reason that in Islam or in Baha'i or in Buddhism, you will find very elegant traces of the presence of God is not because God is trying to affirm religion. It's because God is trying to destroy it. And that includes Christianity. You know, um, I had this um, conversation with this young gal this last summer 
and she's from Indonesia, where that's where I grew up. And and um, she had come over as an exchange student, and and she was staying with a family um, who's the, the dad of the family knows knows me, and he gives me a call one day, and he says, you know, tells me about this young gal, and she's like 16, 17 exchange student, and. He says, well, she's going to go back to Indonesia, but during the, her time here, she's had a massive encounter with Jesus, and she's from a Buddhist family. And um, and so um, she's read The Shack, and it, it just turned her world upside down. And on her bucket list, she told me that on her bucket list is that she would love to meet you. Would you be willing to do that? I went, are you kidding? I'd love to do that. So we went and met at St. Arbuck's, and... And for about two and a half hours, sat outside the coffee shop, and and uh, yeah, and uh, and then uh, I mean, she had the best questions, and then she, you know, she slowly circles into the center of her question, and she says to me, she says, you know, here's here's my dilemma. I'm part of a youth group who absolutely loves me, and I love them, and they've had a massive impact on my life, and and I've loved Jesus, and they they've been telling me that. Now that I've become a Christian, that they're going to be praying for me, that I'll take a stand when I go back to Indonesia for my faith. And, uh, and, and she said, here's my problem. You know, I have a grandmother and I've never been committed to Buddhism. She said, you know, I, but I went every week to the temple with my grandmother because that's what she does. And she she goes religiously and I go with her because I love her and, and my mom's Buddhist. And, and so now I'm going to go back home and, you know, how do I make a stand for Christianity now that I've become a Christian? And that was her dilemma. She's, she's, you know, and mm-hmm. trust yep. me, that is a common dilemma all over the planet. And we sit in our little Western ivory towers and don't understand the kind of dilemma that that really is. And so she's looking at me with this question and I said, oh, there's a real simple answer to this. And and frankly, my answer is going to um, uh, bug some of my own people. And um, um, just so you know, and I'm aware of that and it's okay. Um, and you can pray for me because I'll take prayer anytime. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I said to her, there's a simple solution for this. Just don't be a Christian. I said, be a Buddhist follower of Jesus. Because Buddhism is a cultural thing. So is Islam most of the time. You know, and 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 she goes, she looks at me, she said, You're allowed to do that? I said, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I even know Christians who are followers of Jesus. And um, and what I'm what I'm doing is making a distinction between Jesus and the Christian religion. And, and this is something in the West that we don't do very well. We think Christianity is following Jesus. And often it is not. It is actually following the laws of Moses, if anything. You know, we're much more inclined to be followers of Moses. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, than Jesus, love your enemy, right? So, so under the guise of Christianity, we are followers of Moses. We still need magic. We still believe in separation. We still have all this religious ideology. And we have uh, attributed 
to a relationship with Jesus. And the kindness of Jesus is that he'll climb right into the middle of that mess with you and begin to take it apart from the inside through love, through confrontation, through exposure, through the arduous work of, of redeeming and healing the soul. And, and so, you know, I love my answer to her and she did too, because I said, look, here's the deal. If, when you go into that temple, it's not like God's not there. You know, this is a God who is not separated from you or anybody that's in that place. And so trust the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom on, on how best to love your grandma. Because this is a God who knows how to love people. And, yeah. and your grandmother matters. And yeah. so this is a, the Holy Spirit will teach you how to be the presence of love inside your relationship with your grandmother. And you don't need to make a religious ideology a point of separation relationally. Yeah. Right. So that's one whole element. Let's, let's go back to even something even more simple. I have, I, I was in Germany last year and, uh, and, you know, you're 32 years old, and and when I was 32, I was very religious, and I didn't start dealing with my crap until 38. That's when I committed adultery, and uh, and that's when I had to confront all my religious. That's when I had to um, acknowledge, confess that the that my inside world was disconnected to my outside world. Right, because I had porn addiction and all this kind of crap going on inside, and and um, so I yeah. presented a really great put together um, uh, righteousness, you know. Um, but I was a wreck on the inside. I had secrets. I had addictions. Nobody knew. I had shame that was profound, and but I hid it all, and. Um, and, and I performed. And I, here's the deal. You do, most of us who are broken, we don't perform to try to deceive someone. We perform because it's what we think we're supposed to do to, yeah. to get to the place where we're acceptable. And, yeah. um, and, and it's just like lying is a survival skill. And you need to realize that. For most people, they're not lying to deceive. They're lying to be, stay safe. You know? Yeah. They've been hurt and lying, be, lying became a way to try to get to a safe place. You'll find this at marriages all the time where, where the, the, for example, the wife may ask a question and the husband shades the truth. And fundamentally, he's not lying to deceive her. He's, he's lying to feel safe. And that, that issue of why, why does he need to shade the truth to, to feel safe goes back to something goes back to his childhood. That's the work that has to be done at some point. And uh, so I was in Germany and this, and this young man, uh, probably in his mid to late twenties and uh, obviously very religious, very indoctrinated. And, you know, he's one of my people, obviously. And so one of the things about my people is that we're addicted to certainty. And, um, and so as soon as you start rattling our certainty, we're like mm. squishies, you know, those little, those little balls, if you try to grab them, they kind of squeeze through your fingers, you know, they, <laughs> they squish. 
And, and so when you have a conversation with a religious person and you ask them an honest and authentic and a real question, they will jump to another passage. They'll go like, well, then what about this? And if, if you begin to address that question, then it's what about this passage, right? So they're very focused on, on specific interpretations of passages. And, um, and you can't, you can't get them to stay in one conversation. And, and I know this because I was really good at it and yeah. um, uh, proof texting, you know, so that I, I, I didn't I, I wanted to deal with the, the passages that were problem passages. Um, and uh, I, I didn't want to deal with all the passages that were just obvious, like yeah. love your neighbor, like, um, you know, have have live a life that matches the truth of who you are. I did. You know, stuff like that. Be a truth teller. Yeah, that's obvious. So but let's let's talk about a problem passage rather than the fact that I shade the truth. You know, so so we want to get stuck in our heads. And this is where my people are stuck. And especially in the West after post-enlightenment rationalism, that we became mind-centered people. And this is one of the things that Lewis said about the beauty of fiction or poetry or beauty in general, is it sneaks past your watchful dragon. And the watchful dragons are all the guards you have to stay stuck in your head. And, yeah. and so a lot of people, they're smart, but their lives are a wreck. And, uh, and, and, and they get elevated in religious systems, especially when we worship the mind in the West the way that we do. So um, he's one of these squishy people. And, and every time that he'd ask me a question, he'd Squish over to a different passage of scripture. And I finally said to him, look, I am willing to address any and all of your questions if you will answer just one question for me. All I'm trying to do, I'm, 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 you know, cause argumentation never changes people's minds. It's love that changes people's minds, right? And, and I'm trying to, I'm trying, if he's gonna, if he's gonna be stuck in his rationalism, I at least wanna see if he can just stay in one place. And I said to him, I have one question. If you can answer me one question, then, then I will then address your question. But until you answer this one question, I'm not going to do it. And he said, okay, what's your question? I said, where was creation created? Where? And he looked at me with kind of a blank look and he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, just it's a simple question. Where? was creation created when when god chose to create where did he create creation and really there's only two answers to that but it's but we assume one of them in our separation mentality and this is baxter's done a good job he's got this illustration of a child who blows a soap bubble out of a soap wand and (laughs) that's our view of creation that God is the child who has the soap bubble and is, and God is going to create. So God blows through the wand this bubble and the bubble gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's the big bang or whatever. And, and, and then it, it disconnects from the wand. So now the bubble is floating out in, can't be spaced and space is created. So it's like, but, it's not connected to God. It's separated from God. So this creation, God is outside of creation. 
right? Mm -hmm. And the soap bubble is just floating out there. So, and then from that assumption of separation, we begin to craft our theology. So human beings are created inside that soap bubble. That soap bubble is outside of God. It's floating in whatever. And, and it screws itself up. Adam takes the whole thing sideways. So God sends Jesus across the divide, that separation, over to the soap bubble. And Jesus goes into the soap bubble as fully human, and he builds a bridge back to God, you know, a, a bubble bridge or whatever. And, and then Jesus says, if you want to get back to God, you got to do this. You know, you still have to do something or else you can't, yeah. can't get back to God. Yeah. So, and that's religion. That's religion. That's our Christian religion, but it's religion. All religions have that separation, and now there's a way back to God. You have to do, you know, seven steps of enlightenment. You have to do whatever, whatever. You know, say the sinner's prayer, whatever. Something magical. You have to be alive long enough. You have to be smart enough. You have to be rational enough and, and, and happen to live long enough so that you can do what you have to do so that you can then transact the transaction. And, um, and that gets you back over to God. So who saves you? Jesus doesn't actually save you. Jesus, Jesus just provides the opportunity of salvation, but you still have to accept it. Because if you don't, if you don't do something, you're still stuck in the soap bubble and separated from God. And, and so that's, you know, that's sort of the picture we have in our mind. Well, yeah. that assumption's false. And, and scripture is very clear about where creation is created. And this young man, I mean, every, he came back to me like three times that evening. I was speaking at some place in Germany and, and, and he would circle back and he would go like, but what about this passage? I go like, do you have an answer for me yet about my question? Well, no, because he's either going to have to say that creation is created outside of God, or he's going to have to admit that creation is created inside of God. Because those are your only two options. But yeah. the early church and the tradition of, of our historic faith is that there is nothing outside of God. If you're not created inside of God, and specifically, according to John 1 and Colossians 1, created in Christ, then you will lapse into non-being. You can't yeah. exist. All of creation is inside of God, inside of the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, inside of love. And that is your family of origin, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you're not inside of that and created inside of that, then you don't exist. And this is Paul on Mars Hill. And I don't know how many of y'all have read Acts chapter 17 and paid attention to it, because this is Paul talking to quote unquote pagan Greeks who don't know anything about Jesus, don't know what Jesus has done. They don't know what's going on in Palestine and don't care. They're all philosophy people. And they're up on Mars Hill because that's what you do. You go up there to hear the latest philosopher and then have a debate. And so Paul stands up in the middle of this and he starts telling them the truth. 
And he says two remarkable fights. He says a whole bunch of remarkable things, but the two in terms of what I'm trying to communicate, he says to them, he says, you are all children of God. And since you are children of God, since we are all children of God, including himself, he then goes on. And then he says, and just like your, your own poets have said, and he quotes the hymn to Zeus. He is saying that in your hymn to Zeus, there is truth. God has showed up, the true God, the unknown God, the God that doesn't have a name that you have a statue to. But this God has spoken the truth inside your religious system. And this is how the hymn to Zeus goes. In him, you live and move and have your being. That means, mm-hmm. you know what this means? This means that there is nobody who is separated from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This also means that there is nobody who is not in Christ, since all of creation is created in him. John 1, right? Not anything that has come into being has come into being apart from him. Colossians 1. All of creation, the invisible and the visible, was created in him and is now held together, sustained in him, for him, by him, through him. Right? Everything is united to Christ. This is this is this is just profound because okay yeah you know, the Bible says he makes it rain on the just and the unjust you you quoted a scripture there that I absolutely love where the apostle Paul said that everybody lives and moves and has their being in the Lord and there's so many scriptures that say that Jesus fills all in all and there's and we could we can go through a long list of scriptures that that uh, confirm this here but like Okay, so if that's a truth and separation is a lie, then we need to, you know, distinguish between believer and unbeliever. Well, how come some people are beaming with the Lord Jesus and how come some people are obviously trapped in darkness, blind, and don't believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father? Uh, but even before we get into that, but I feel like that's before we end the show, we should tackle that. But it's, you know, when I begin to experience like, you know, the fact that he's not trapped in a church, he's not trapped in a religious structure, that literally I could experience a Lord while I'm watching TV, while I'm spending time with friends and family, while I'm walking and, you know, go- going on a hike or walking around my neighborhood, that I am, everything I'm doing is in the Lord and everything I could do, you know, everything I do can be unto the Lord. I can experience him everywhere and anywhere because, you know, and I remember I had a couple experiences where I, uh, one time I was on an airplane when I was kind of coming into this understanding and God was breaking a lot of religion off me and a lot of false perceptions of him. I was on an airplane and, uh, there was this Muslim family, a husband and a wife, and they had two children and they were on the plane and the kids were just laughing and poking each other and joking around. And there was just, and the parents were looking at their kids with adoration and love in their eyes, you know, over their kids. And I remember thinking like, Jesus, you know, we're all created in your image and likeness. And, you know, just because it's marred, you know, in our lives and just because we're not always expressing your goodness and your nature and every single person isn't, there still is a likeness and image on every single person, what you know, regardless of what they believe, regardless of what the religion is. And I just saw love and God is love. I saw love in between the relationship of the brother and sister. I saw the true genuine love for the, you know, from the parents to these kids and they were, and they were Muslims. They had their garb and everything. And the Lord just opened up my eyes. Like if, if I wasn't involved in their lives in any capacity, they wouldn't be able to love like they're loving. Like that's me, you know, and not, and not to affirm what they believe is true, 
not to affirm that what they believe is true, but to say that I, I come in, just like you're saying, I come into their system, like they, I am in them and with them. I, I walk and I'm my, my being in them. And, and, you know, he's always wooing them and drawing them to see Jesus and to know Jesus. I think that's the end game. But if, if there's, if separation is a lie, and I'd like to end with this, if separation is a lie, then how come people that don't believe in Jesus, then, then, then what's the disconnect? Okay. So, well, let me use this same illustration that you did. I'm in an airport and I see a family and they're religiously Christian. I mean, they believe all kinds of crap. They believe things that are not true about God. They believe things that are not true about human beings. And look, they're loving their kids. Look, they're participating in the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And and yeah, they've labeled it Jesus and all kinds of religious other stuff. So, you know, even though you can identify yourselves in terms of religion, Islam, Christian, whatever, Judaistic, whatever, or nothing, or atheistic, there is the resident presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your life. Otherwise, you will lapse into non-being. That's that's Athanasius and Irenaeus and the early church. They're going like, look, if you were ever to be separated from God, you don't exist. You do exist because you move and That's live right. and have your being in him. So so the issue is not, oh, you've crossed the channel. You're part of the in-group now. How many, how many of those who are followers of Jesus struggle with unbelief? How many of those who are followers of Jesus are still embedded in all kinds of lies about themselves, about the things that blind them? What are the big blinders in our world? Well, politics. Greed, economics, uh, religion, these are the big beasts, right? And, and the yeah. lie of separation itself, the, the, the lies with regard to the character and nature of God. How are you, you know, I, I'm, I was with a friend of mine. Um, I met him because uh, my friend uh, Jim up in Seattle, um, Jim Henderson, went on eBay and bought an atheist soul on eBay, right? Because the uh, atheist was selling his soul. And he, and he bought an atheist soul for $504. And, um, and, the, and the atheist said that for every 10 bucks somebody paid for his soul, he'd spend an hour in the church of their choice. So uh, the atheist, his name is Hemet Mehta. And Hemet has a friend named Matt Casper. And Matt took up Hemet's challenge because Matt had this extra time. And he's an atheist. And he and Jim, they used, they used those hours to travel to churches. Christian churches of all sorts all across the United States. And they wrote a book called um, Jim and Casper Go to Church. So it's Jim Henderson and Matt Casper. And, and you can get it in your, mm-hmm. you know, Christian bookstore. But um, I, because of Jim, I meet Matt. And the first thing he walked up to me, he said, you know, I'm an unbeliever, right? And I said, no, you're not. He goes, yeah, yeah, no, I'm an unbeliever. I said, actually, I don't think you are. He goes, I am. Like I offended him, you know? And, uh, I said, okay, all right. So I said, look, why don't, why don't you just tell me what you actually believe in? Uh, he says, you want to know what I believe in? I said, yeah. And you're saying you're an unbeliever, so I want to know what you believe in. And he goes, huh. He says, nobody ever asked me what I believe in. And I said, no, I want to know. He goes, I'll tell you what I believe in. I believe in the love that I have for my, my sons. I went, wow, that's interesting. What, what kind of love is that? Because it's obviously is not, you know, like romantic love. 
He goes, yeah. He says, here's what I'll tell you. He said, Paul, I did not know I had a capacity to love like this until I had my children. I would die for them. He says, it's not rational. It is something that is so deep and incontrovertible. I would, I would step in front of a bullet for them. I said, oh, so could you de- describe this love as self-giving, other-centered, sacrificial? He goes, that's exactly what it is. You know, you know what other-centered, self-giving, sacrificial love is? Agape. When it says in 1 John that God is love, it's agape. So, so here is my atheist friend who's got all kinds of issues with religion, which I totally get. And he is saying, I can't buy into that. But I'll tell you what I do believe in. I believe in love and not just any kind of love, a very specific kind of love. We continued our conversation. He not only believes in love, he believes in truth. He believes in that there is a, there are things that are absolutely wrong and evil. He believes in yeah. the elegance of the natural order, as he would say it, right? And we would say the created order, you know, and, uh, but he sees beauty in quantum mechanics and, in irreducible complexity and all of these other things. And, and you're going like, he is so, I, at, at the at end of our conversation, I said, so, you know, you've told me you are an unbeliever and yet you believe in love, not just any kind of love, but a very specific kind of love, other-centered, self-giving. You believe in truth and you believe in life and you're trying to convince me you're an unbeliever. And he goes, I know what you're doing. And, and we laughed about it, and we had we talked for over an hour. And at the end, he hugs me, and Jim's standing next to us, and he hugs me. And as Matt walks away, because Matt whispered something to me, and and Jim says, "Paul, that is the greatest compliment I've ever heard Matt Casper give another human being." Because he, when he leaned over, he says, "I am just, <laughs> I'm just thrilled to know that you exist." So he, so Matt now believes in Paul Young, you know. So he believes in what he sees in me that is that is transcendent is real so here's the deal um we've never found the believe a meter that tells us at what percent are you in the in group now that you've believed enough right nobody's decided whether it's 22 percent or 67 percent and we we don't have the little machine we can attach to our head and heart to know that the meter says that we believed enough everybody is an unbeliever to some degree that is that we're still stuck in delusions and lies and things that we haven't figured out. But there is a process going in our inside of our lives. We're either perishing or we are, um, what's the term Paul uses? Those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Neither of those yeah. is talking about what Jesus has accomplished. It's talking about the process that we're in. Either that process is a process toward wholeness or it's a process towards the, dis- the destruction of the soul. And that process is embedded with the presence of God. So even as we are making bad choices, we are going to be continuously confronted by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, the presence of God the Father within us. Because all of real life happens from the inside. And we were included. See, and this is the other thing. 
we're not separated by creation. We are children of God. You won't meet a person who's not a child of God. That's scripture. You won't meet a person who's not in Christ. That's scripture. And inside that relationship, we can still choose to believe things that are absolutely untrue. And so the thing about Jesus is that he assumes completely our humanity. Here's an early church. I think it was Hillary who said, anything that Jesus did not assume about our humanity cannot be healed. And the profoundness of that is this, that he becomes sin for us. He becomes sin as us. He experiences alienation, which is not actual separation, but it's the delusion of separation. That's his cry on the cross. My God, my God, why yep. have you forsaken me? So he experiences by entering into our alienation. So he he existentially enters a period of time where he could no longer sense the love of the Father, the presence of the Father, hear the voice of the Father, something that he's never not known. And he enters there because that's where we're lost. We're lost in the delusion of aloneness and separation. And then he, it says that he died, we died. When he died, we died. When he rose, we rose. When he ascended, we ascended. And it doesn't make a clarification. Oh, it's for those people who have made the magic choice. He includes the entire cosmos. And this is why Calvin and Luther made the declaration. For God, the Father, was in Christ and reconciled. Perfect tense. Completed action that continues forever. Reconciled the cosmos to himself and didn't count their sin against them. Why? Because Jesus became sin and he took and he became, he assumed everything about our humanity. And when he rose, we rose. So why, why this unbeliever, believer, why this sense of separation? Why all this? Because we're still stuck in the delusion of our, of the lies that we have accepted. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit to open up our inside eyes so that we can let go of the things that are not true and begin to walk in the truth in the light, in freedom, which is ours in Christ. And that's true for every single human being. So when you're relating to wow. people, whether they're religiously Christian, religiously Islam, or religiously atheist, or materialistic, or whatever, you're not looking at the truth of who they are. You're looking at the way of who they are. And the way of who we are is all screwed up. And even those who have had a long-time relationship with Jesus aren't aren't immune from the process of dismantling the lies that reside within the deep parts of our soul so that we can continuously walk in the truth. And the evidence of it is that our capacity to love will grow, our capacity to be truth-tellers will expand, our ability to be fully human and fully alive will begin to manifest itself in greater and greater ways as, as being fully alive in Christ would. And that involves everything that you do everything that you do. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much for that insight. How do people, and I know you're writing more books. You just told me you're in the process of writing a few books. I know, you know, I, I would love to hear more about this, obviously. And so, and you've, you've got the shack, you've got lies. We believe about God. You have Eve, you have crossroads, how to, you know, because first of all, thank you for spending time with me here today and sharing all of this insight that you've 
you know, gained over the years through experience and walking with the Lord? How do people stay connected with your books um, to know when new books are coming out, um, hear, hear more of your teachings, etc.? Yeah, so I would, I, if you go to wmpauljoung.com, which is just, I'm not a real geeky techie guy, but, but wmpauljoung.com is a website. If you look on the resource tab, there's a tab that just says resource, resources. On there is not only my stuff, but is also friends of mine that I trust. And there is some really great articles. I know that this conversation will bring up all sorts of questions. Um, listen to the first. There are two videos that are near the top of resource page. One is by Baxter Kruger and one is by Brad Jerzak. I listen to those. Also, read uh, Brad, under Brad Jerzak's section, there is an article called The Three Views of Salvation that is incredibly helpful. And I would suggest that you read that as well. So plus there's a ton of things on that page that will just um, guide you in, in different ways into different arenas um, that are helpful. There's a whole bunch of us out there that don't care about notoriety and platform and about following and ministry and all that kind of those kinds of addictions. We, we really have a desire to be helpful in the human conversation. And because it's a human conversation, it is implicitly a conversation about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's where I direct you. So good. So good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Paul. It's been an honor. It's always great talking to you. Appreciate your insight so much. And man, I love your, the shack changed my life. I read Eve and Eve was such a blessing to me as well. And I can't wait to, uh, you know, hear more about the, you know, the books that you're releasing and your teachings have uh, impacted me and a lot of people that I know personally. Um, and so thank you so much, Paul. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with me here today on the show. Uh, honored to be with you, Michael. Uh, it's, it's always a two-way street. So thank you. All right. God bless you. Everybody, thank you for tuning in to Awaken Podcast. Um, Such a joy to be with you guys here today. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast so we can get out to more people so they can be blessed, encouraged, strengthened by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless you guys, and I'll see you next time on Awaken Podcast. Mm -hmm.